welcome to Legends of Tabletop. And if, if you would like to introduce yourself oh, yeah. for a brief yeah, bumper. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my name is Eric, the creator and designer um, for Worlds Overrun Tabletop Terrain. And uh, yeah, I'm talking with uh, Leah today about uh, the new Kickstarter that we're going to be launching for uh, Worlds Overrun. Uh, so yeah, I'm pretty excited. There's a lot, uh, a lot going on, and uh, a lot of people are are excited for the new product. And and uh, yeah, uh, I I don't even know where to start. There's been <laughs> there's been months of building stuff, Leah. It's just been a lot of work yes you have been churning out quite a few patterns and uh, quite a lot of terrain um for this uh please please tell us a little bit about the world's overrun in general and with the background in additional terrain that you have created so far well it, you know it's all really exciting uh to me personally because this is this is uh this is my my business and and um it started off as just sort of hey let's try this um and we we've done two highly successful kickstarters they get better and better, better bigger and better each time um we've we've done uh we've released uh i think technically we have three maybe four worlds no technically we have four worlds out there um but the primary ones the ones the big ones that we're really pushing are uh uh, uh scorch thorn and i thought they're uh maybe we do only have i can't count um That's okay. we, thorn thorn is our big is our big world and that one was started with the first Kickstarter. We, you guys, yes. seen, when I talked about the this with you guys last time, this is one of the pieces from that. Um, I don't know why I'm slipping here. Um, there's so much content that I forget what we've made <laughs> kind of thing. There's so much stuff going on. Um, <clears throat> but uh, this new Kickstarter, we're actually going to be releasing two new worlds. We're going to be releasing... Uh, Strata, which is a cloud city-based world, and we're going to be le- releasing Grove, which is a, for lack of a better term, it's kind of like a living, green, lush world with standing stones and what have you. And in fact, <clears throat> I have I have files that I can show you guys. I have nothing printed. Uh, I have test prints, but I have nothing printed in front of me right now. But um, one of the things about Grove that's most exciting is is that we're using uh, Irish and Celtic uh, symbology, uh, standing stones, um, that sort of thing. And um, I'm most excited about uh, Strata and Grove. Strata was the first one. This is the this is a file right here, and you can see that this is a standing stone um, with a Celtic arrow carved into the stone. Um, and this is probably one of the more exciting parts of this because I've been able to do research on uh, Celtic heritage or, or, or Druidic heritage where we talk about the swirls and the carvings and what have you. And um, I was really surprised the level of complexity 
in some of these things and also sometimes the level of simplicity in some of these these carvings in these very 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 hard rocks i mean most of these rocks are not like carving in soapstone they are things that you really have to <laughs> put you some have effort to work. you have to want yeah you have to want to put a mark on the stone and these 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 things are really it's really wild and <clears throat> Sadly, the history the history that that I have read up on the 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 druids and the people the the Celts the, a lot of the people that lived in in Ireland and Scotland and and built Stonehenge most of what they built um, was made out of wood very much like the Pacific Indians so there's very little archaeological record and no written record of their culture. So it's very sad that um, it's very sad and curious to me because I want to know what their culture was like and all about. Um, but yeah, the, you know, th this is this is one sample of of many different files that we're going to be putting out. Um, we're actually changing some of the terrain stuff because there's a lot more there's a lot newer printers coming out um, that do uh, work on a larger bed scale. So we're actually doing. We're going to be doing um, a number of changes to to what we produce. We're not going to be producing anything that's going to say that's going to make it so that no one can pr print it unless they have a large bed size. But we are making files. Uh, this is another one I wanted to show. Uh, these are all stones laid out in um, a, a, a large spiral. And that's um, pretty cool. Yeah, and and what's really great about this is that one of the one of the shapes in Grove is uh, I used a four leaf clover as part of the ground plane. So I'm just going <clears> to <throat> render this off. It'll look a little bit better, but you can see the clovers popping up in a bunch of different places. And these, these have already been, uh, one of these has already been test printed. So some of them are more subtle. Some of them are more dramatic. Um, but I was looking at patterns like this and um, strata, strata and Grove are independent from each other. Um, partly because um all of the worlds and, and this sorry to ramble on but all of the worlds are you could you could lay them all out on the same table but they really are independent from each other uh so that we can create um material that is going to speak to the individual user um as we as we create a world and create expansions for that world, somebody's going to buy or purchase or want, you know, one thing over another. And high sci high sci-fi and high fantasy or uh, genre styles like steampunk or diesel punk or nuke punk or even uh, 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 cyberpunk, um, those those kinds of specialties within the genre. Um, uh, they need to. They need to have. They need to be fulfilled or have answers to those questions, so to speak. Um, so that's a lot of. That's a lot of what's going on in my mind with, um, with these new terrains and mm -hmm. and what we're trying to do, um, as far as uh, the the two new Kickstarter, the two new uh, the two new worlds that we're releasing with this Kickstarter. So. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of what's going on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna flip through another thing, and so you could ask questions or, or do whatever. Uh, or... Absolutely. I mean, I I really enjoyed looking at the 
uh, that terrain with the four leaf clovers. I'm just thinking to myself, that'd be so much fun to paint. Well, that's the other day, other idea too, is, is that, um, I actually found one of these, this, I found one of these in some of the standing stones. It was really cool. Um, but that's one of the other things too, is, is that, um, I know you didn't ask this question, but it's really such a cool concept is that I did a survey on the second Kickstarter. And my question was, what are you going to use it for? Or what game, what are you going to, how are you going to use this terrain? And I thought to myself, you know, with the business I work with, with Kirk over at Collapse Industries, we do talk about dioramas and, and building models just for the sake of building models. And I was like, okay, so I'd listed Warhammer and I listed, um, uh, Corbus Belly's game. I'm trying to remember the name of the game. Uh, I think it's like Infinity. Um, mm -hmm. And then I listed dioramas and other. And I was very surprised. The vast majority of the people that answered or f filled out the um, the survey. The, the survey. Thank you. Um, the vast majority of them uh, said that they would use it for dioramas. And I was like, no kidding. So to provide a terrain base that gives you more than just, you know, um, loose patterns uh, or, or more than just a one style of doing things. Um, suddenly it was like, okay, this is much more, um, what's going on is much more profound than just um, one little thing. Now I already showed you this one. I'm trying to think of yes. which one's, I'm, I'm willing to show almost all of these. Um, but yeah, the diorama, the diorama really kind of was like surprising to me. I would not have expected that. Mm -hmm. Oh, this one's, this one's cool. You'll like this one. Okay. Uh, let me see if I can get it to isolate the parts. Especially with the standing stone that you had just shown that just brought to my mind immediately like, oh, there are going to be aquarium enthusiasts once there is figured out a better plastic or filament with which to print these. Yeah, if there's a suitable plastic with, the, with which to print them. Well, that's, um, that's the thing that... Um that's the thing that uh, the guys over at Tanked uh, talk about is, is that um, you can take this stuff mm -hmm. and you can seal it in boat resin and that'll make it inert and safe okay. to use. The only problem I see <clears throat> is the, the object will be hollow. So it'll be filled with air, which will make it ultimately very, oh. very buoyant. Yeah. So you'd have to figure out a, you'd have to drill holes in it or cut the bottom off. And or then, use a hundred percent infill, completely solid. That, that would work, but then you have to deal with the problem of density, density, how much material is that going to take? Cause most of these pieces, most of these pieces are very, very, they're, they're bigger. They're, yeah. they're, this this rectangle or this square that we're using as my my base uh, form should be just over. Uh, it's just it's just around it's just over two hundred millimeters, which is about eight inches. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a it's a very big platform, and to do an eight inch block um, that would be very expensive uh, material wise, and it, it also eats up a lot of. Um, uh, what do you call it? It eats up a lot of um, time because you have to print yeah. each layer. 
Um, but this cube here, this cube here is a reference uh, reference tool for me. This is 150 millimeters mm-hmm. on the outside border, um, which is almost exactly um, six inches square. Okay. Um, but yeah, this to, to fill in this space would be it'd be very costly. Um, yeah. I think I think that it, I think that there would be a number of ways of doing it. But what I would do is I would sand the bottom off, mm-hmm. and then I take a Dremel tool. And I would just quickly knock out the inside stuff, and then I'd backfill it with uh, a solid resin. You can buy a two-part resin for for pretty cheap. The only problem is, again, you have to know what you're doing. You have to find something that is not going to leak uh, chemicals into your into your uh, water. Uh, it's it's not easy making. Um, making making aquarium safe dioramas. I put it that way. Okay. But it's it's not impossible. It just means you have to you have to do a little bit of research because it's 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 like your home. You wouldn't bring you know as cool as it would be to bring certain things into your home. You normally wouldn't because it might be dangerous. Yeah. But but yeah, um, like this, these this, lead pipes look awesome. <laughs> well, we did used to bring asbestos into into the house because it was fire retardant, but we didn't know that it was was dangerous. Um, I know this is hard to read, but I, I actually wanted this to look really, really rough. But this has actually got a spiral and then like a sun shape spilling out from this. I'm hoping that what ends up happening is when somebody prints this out, um, they'll paint that in. They'll paint some like white. Uh, pigment in there or maybe some woad pigment in there and um and give this give make it stand out a little bit more pop a little bit more but yeah the um grove is going to have i'm not going to show them because actually i can show i can show one of the files give me a second here let me think uh do i have it up and running? um grove comes with trees as well as um as well as the standing stones and the rocks um and then um I think I do have it up. Ah, here it is. Yep. So this oh. is one of the, this is one of the trees. Um, I've got I've got several renders, so I'm going to just grab these and move these over. Um, so they've got several trees here. Um, you can see in here, for instance, there's one of the standing stones. This is a smaller one um, with swirls in it, and then you can see the leaves on the trees uh, really stand out. And this. This side view here makes it really look like a tree. Um, this is kind. Of, this is kind of some of the stuff that we're going to be releasing. Um, and this is printed in four parts. So there's the base, then there's the main part of the tree, and the first part of the canopy, and then there's the two uh, continual ca- continuations of the canopy. Um, but yeah, what do you think, Leah? I think that uh, I think that's very wise of you to make it in segments so that the end user is not stuck with having to clean up all these little support pieces when well, they print. We, we talk about this a lot um, when we manufacture and we build something, which is is that um, uh, the, the whole purpose of making this with, with seams in it is to make it so that the end user can just print out the component parts uh, and, and assemble it. And I've had a couple people cry and whine at me about why couldn't this be a single piece? And they don't really understand the manufacturing side of things. It's not that I'm trying to say, hey, you know, dummy, um, look, this has to be cut up. But the truth is, is that... Um, not everybody of, knows that. 
Right, exactly. It, it, everybody, everybody is at a different level of understanding and different level of, of information or knowledge. Um, and and the, I'd rather have a seam that you can fill in with some uh, AVs epoxy sculpt or AVs epoxy putty, which are two different things, by the way. AVs, AVs is a, a, is a two-part um, material that I really, really like. Um, and that's just so you guys know, in case anybody needs to look it up, it's AVES, AVs Epoxy Sculpt. You can... Is that the stuff that comes in a little syringe? No. You can put it in an eyedropper or a syringe. In fact, hold on a second. I'm trying to find my buttons. Why? There, there we go. This is, this, is, uh, this is a very small sample of AV's epoxy sculpt. And oh, what's okay. nice what's nice about this is, is that um, I can take this out and I can tool it, okay? And it's it's got a very weird odor. Um, Let me see the label of that one more time because that reminds me of another product that I use often. I'll, sh I'll show you the gold one, the part B, the gold one, or the black on gold. Mm -hmm. Yep, um, okay. This, this material, this material, what you do is you take part equal parts A and B, mm -hmm. and you you make a little ball, and then you make a little snake, and then you can put it in the seam. Now I'm I'm actually going to try. This is the putty. I'm going to try and order. Um, I need to order the. I want to order the powder. No, no, no. I want to order the putty, which is more liquid. Oh, it's more, okay. It'll flow more. Um, but what's nice about this is is that you can you can there's a solvent you can order with it. But you don't need to. You can actually use water. Uh, it just looks cloudy when you use water. But if I take this and you take just a simple tool, you, you can you can use your finger. But if you take a little, make a little snake and lay it in the seam, you can lay it in there, and then you can use a little bit of water and blend off the edges while it's still malleable. But you can also, if you're if you're like me, you can grab a little tool. This is a. I'm gonna hold this up. This is a, this is a little reverse spoon. And I mean, there's a scraper on the one side, but there's a spoon on the other side and you can go in there and you can just push it in and then you can sort of blend the edge a little bit. And once it's in there, <clears throat> once it's in there, if it's, if it's really secure, it is a, um, it is a epoxy sculpt. It's, it's got epoxy in the name. It's really hard stuff. You can, you can tool it if you have to, but I probably wouldn't with, with this stuff. Cause I think the print might be weaker than the epoxy sculpt, but it's a really great way of, of finishing off a model or even customizing. In fact, that's the other thing. If you said to me, Hey, Eric, I wish there were more roots on the ground plane for this tree, or I wish there was, I don't know, some custom flowers on there for this tree um, or, or fruits or, or something like that. I'd honestly use this stuff to mod it because you can do more with it. And if you use um, things like wax paper or cellophane or um, whatever, you can build the parts and you can just, it's, it's very safe to use. You can build the parts and mix the parts, sculpt the parts really quickly. You put it on the, the cellophane, let it cure, a little bit of Bondo or glue or epoxy uh, resin and just put them on there. Or you can build them right into the tree or into, this, into the thing. And I've been trying to convince people to not just paint these, but mod these. And mm, haven't seen anybody do it yet. Oh. Um, maybe because they're not like me, they're not interested in, in taking this to the next level. But, um, to me, that's, 
that's part of the fun because when I when I made this tree specifically, it was it was inspired by um, uh, things like uh, Spirited Away, which is um, one of my favorite films, uh, uh, and I love the idea of like green growing places and ancient things and and you know all of this stuff just is just so wild to me so like seeing this tree with these standing stones you know you want to give it a little bit of asian feel or something like that you know you build you build a little kind of like i don't know what they're called but they're these weird little goblin like totems they're not really goblins they're kind of weird they're kind of soft and pudgy um and they amuse me um but you know it's not that I couldn't incorporate them into this piece. It's just that my mind is racing right now talking about this. It's like, you can always mod these things and you can do it on the cheap. Yeah, know? absolutely. And I'm thinking with what you had just said about, about not finding a response of people to uh, customize these, I should probably, there are a few groups on, on Facebook that I should recommend to you. It's the old school gamers group. Okay. Is is another one. Uh, what is it? Eastern Front Studios is another person. The person that runs that is someone that I feel he used to do and paint and teach uh, mods for Ralpartha miniatures. So um, that that may be that may be an outlet for you to pursue. Um, yeah, I, I think that would be. I think that'd be worth looking into. Um, now you have. You have an announcement to make before I move on to the next one? Oh, time? yes. Yes, I do. Um, let's see. Um, if you do like what you hear here, uh, don't forget to like and subscribe to the Legends of Tabletop YouTube channel. Coming up, we have some awesome things. On the 18th, I will be speaking with Vincent Verjean-Jean. I think I pronounced that correctly, maybe. Uh, of Lucky Duck Games uh, with the Kickstarter for Jetpack Joyride, which is a modification of a cell phone game, the popular cell phone game, to a board game format. Also, uh, stay tuned on August 21st from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. I'll be speaking with successful author Paul Tremblay. Um, known for such greats as The Cabin at the End of the World and uh, Head Full of Ghosts, uh, both entries which are fantastic. And then on September 5th, I will be speaking with editor Ellen Datlow. Um, on the second half of September, I will be speaking with the homicidal homemaker, Casey Hansen. Check out her YouTube channel, The Homicidal Homemaker. Uh, it's a cooking show. It's quite fun. And she is a columnist for Rue Morgue. Uh, so also check out those columns as well. Uh, while you're at it, Birds of a Feather Coffee Company. They roast unique craft coffee, coffee in small batches, so it's always fresh. Check out the Finches series, our legendary brew. You can drink your very own. Legends of Tabletop Brew of Coffee. Perfection in every cup that can be found at birdscoffeecompany.com. Birdscoffeecompany.com, where there's a brew for every birdie. And 
migrate the flock on down. <laughs> so anyway, there we go. And those are my announcements for now. Um, when can we expect this Kickstarter to begin? Uh, short of any catastrophic failures, I'm going to launch it on Monday, <clears throat> which this coming Monday, which let me double check the, the date. Uh, it will be the 16th, uh, July 16th. It will run for 14 days. Um, I only, I, I, I run shorter Kickstarters, um, because the product is finished and most of my backers, um, get it get it in in the first handful of days so i don't want to waste anybody's time um i also have been taking late pledges i've had a few late pledges for previous kickstarters um and also i need to get the website up in fact today i came up with the slogan for uh for worlds overrun which is um worlds overrun uh elevate your gaming yeah um which kind of leads into a lot of what we're we're pushing for which is is that uh we're moving for uh this is one of then the pieces i'm going to talk about uh we're, we're moving and looking for and developing pieces that that get you off the tabletop get you off the ground plane um so you know i i don't know what you how you feel about that but to me i think that that's the the next big thing with 3d printing and with tabletop gaming is to get you off the get you off the the 2d surface yeah so that's this exciting is, to me <laughs> that's exciting to me too so what you're looking at here are two parts of strata that haven't been announced this is the nobody's seen this uh, outside of my immediate circle of friends these are two component pieces for strata uh so strata is a bunch of platforms a bunch of uh raised platforms and on the left is the newest piece and, and there's a couple of these this is the these are the floating rocks of strata this is the specifically fantasy element and to the right is one of the stanchions for strata um, and these are some of my favorite things that i built for this because um, one is reminiscent of avatar uh, uh, and the other is reminiscent of, uh, Cloud City, uh, Star Wars Cloud City, uh, and or, uh, Bespin or Camino, you know, basically those factory cities. So real quickly, I know the stanchion looks <laughs> diminished quite a bit, uh, compared to the floating rocks, but I, I don't want it to be under, Un underemphasize how cool this is. What this is is that this is a um, depending on how big your printer is, you can print it in in, in fewer parts with a bigger printer. Mm -hmm. But this is uh, this is the base, and there's a custom, a specialized 3D print designed dovetail. And I say 3D print designed. This dovetail is designed to support platforms but it's designed to print best with a 3D printer. Um, a standard dovetail is a trapezoid, if anybody remembers our geometry. Um, we use a lot of trapezoids in the building of, of this stuff, but the trapezoid shape doesn't print well. It, the, the cavity for the trapezoid shape, the negative for the trapezoid shape does not print well because there's a lot of um, hanging space so what we created was we took out the middle of it. I say we, I designed it so that it would print better. I designed yeah. it so it would print better. And we took out the middle of it so that when you print the part, and we'll, there's a part in here I'll show actually, let me jump to that. This part here, you can't see it. 
there's a dovetail. There's a dovetail right down there. You can't see it. Okay. Um, but but my point is is that we design in your this, mind. Imagine. Yes, in your mind. Imagine. Use your imaginations. Um, <laughs> I, I I am trying to be very literal with this stuff, so I do Something. want people to have their imaginations. But I, I you know the, these parts are very much they're functional. They have the artistic uh, and functional oh. elements. But the dovetail you can see down here how this one doesn't have a, a, a ground plane. There's a reason for that. Um, but this is essentially uh, the dovetail and the hole is built like this. Um, so uh, it's actually a couple of forks instead of a full dovetail, but it has the same strength as a dovetail. Um, it just makes more sense for 3D printing. It's more efficient. And I wish you guys could see some of this. You can see one of the shapes of a greeble here. Mm -hmm. And there's a few down here, little knobs and 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 they're called greebles and nernies. There's a couple of cylinders you can see here. You can see them a little bit better here because we mimic that shape. Um, this this is the stanchion, and this is very sci-fi, very Star Wars feeling. Um, and this is a beautiful piece. And and in floating rocks, we've got a similar thing. Greg's hand here is holding the connector uh, dovetail for the floating rocks. And there's another one. Is it in this shot? I don't see it. Oh, wait, it's there. Here it is. Okay. You can see the other one sticking off right oh, yeah. here. It's it's kind of go, blending into the doorway in the background. But basically, the floating rocks and the stanchions hold up strata, which are the platforms. And we play on the platforms because you have to put your characters on something. But mm -hmm. this is what holds up the platforms. So I'm just going to... I'm just going to thumb through these so you can see some of what's going on here. Everything's designed to print with minimal to no support. Okay. Um, now yeah. I'm going to interject real quickly yeah. with the technical question. Um, those platforms, the dovetails, mm -hmm. they're, they're printed in a horizontal orientation, horizontally. Um, now for saving of space or time, someone might want to rotate those to print in a different orientation. Now, I know that that making them a vertical print will probably increase the likelihood for the print to fail it structurally. But do you foresee that being a problem or would the platforms not weigh that much? I... I don't have a good answer for that because when I designed this, you can mm -hmm. see the seam here. This one, this one prints completely vertically, the lower portion, but the upper portion, because of the shape of the dovetail, it's split in half. And this one is, this one's designed, this one is printed on a larger printer. So this is actually just three pieces. There's the bottom and the two halves. If you were to try and and there is a one that's cut up once more. Uh, I think there's a seam up here somewhere. I have to double check the file for the for the 150 millimeter uh, printer beds. Um, if you were to try and print this vertically, you would need supports. Um, oh yeah, for that, yeah. Right, and and it wouldn't function properly. Um, I don't think you can print it any other way than the way that it was intended. Um, I just don't think it'll. Whenever I cut something, or 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 whenever I'm, whenever I build something, it's built with the intention of being cut up to print at the best angle uh, for the for the printer. Okay. Um, which is why we use we try and maintain you know forty five degrees uh, from the horizontal, um, which is you know. Um, 
paramount to avoid using supports. Um, does it always work? No, I actually have some minor edits that I have to make in the standing rocks or the floating rocks because they um, either I missed something or an angle got too severe um, and I didn't realize it when sculpting. Um, but the two parameters I use for cutting up a piece are the size of the print bed, the minimum size of the print bed, and that that 45 degrees from um, from the 90 uh, vertically uh, uh, on the print bed. Um, I can't see. Maybe maybe I'm just not seeing it, but I can't see. I can't see a good way of changing this to print differently and. Maybe that's just because I haven't really put much more thought into it after I solved the problem the first time. So and, there, and there's no, there's there's really no need. Uh, the only real reason that I brought that up was because of a discussion I had in a 3D printing forum earlier today, where someone asked, you know, what orientation should I make this? And it's like, well, if those those pieces are going to endure any sort of stress. You need to orient it this way so it doesn't fall apart at the first addition of weight. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that if the, I think that if for whatever reason this was printing and there was, it went back and forth this way. Um, yeah, uh, I'm it thinking might be, be bad. <laughs> yeah. But I think that most of the time when I watch the printers work, they go around the object and then they backfill yes. or they, they go and they do something, something along those parameters. So I think there's, there's always, there's constant change in the um, direction that the filament is being laid down mm -hmm. um, except for the Z axis. In this instance, the Z axis on the two, on the upper part of the stanchion goes horizontally left and right uh, or, Oh. horizontally left and right based on what we're looking at and the and vertically on the bottom portion i don't think we're going to have any problems because we've we've we, unless you're being exceedingly aggressive and rough with these okay um, you're going to need a minimum of of three either three stanchions or or uh two stanchions and a center column or one stanchion and a center column to support uh, a single set of platforms. So the more stanchions or center columns you have, the more distribution of weight and the more support for the overall structure that you will have. Um, I don't think that there's gonna be any real, um, I think the structural integrity is gonna be pretty good because I've got, with some of the pieces that I have here, I've stressed them by grabbing them and twisting them with my hands. And I'm very surprised at how um, not not flexible they are rigid objects, but how how resilient they are. And I'm not a weak person, but it's I, I, I grab one of these pieces and I'm like wrenching on it to see if I can force it to to fracture. You would have to be really, really rough with it or have a very poor print poor printing conditions poor printing conditions would be like printing in a very cold room or a very moist room uh somewhere if your humidity if your humidity is and we already most of us already know this but if your humidity is very very high say 50 percent or more 
and your filament was manufactured in a place like California or um, Germany where the humidity is very, very low, you may have a, a bonding issue between Z layers. What I suggest is, is that, um, especially for ABS, ABS needs an enclosure because it prints at a higher temperature and um, you can have bed separation. Now, my studio space is a basement. Um, my temperature here is averaging between 65 and 75 degrees on, on the regular, but the humidity is really low. So if I was running, I wouldn't pr I'd probably not want to run ABS downstairs. I just probably wouldn't. I'd want to go up into the, one of the rooms on the, the third floor, or well, there's if you count the basement, there's three floors, but technically it's a two-floor home. I would probably want to run the, the ABS in one of the upstairs rooms um, because generally those rooms are hotter, and but the temperature fluctuates more, which is why you have an enclosure. PLA, it runs on a lower temperature, which means that you don't necessarily need an enclosure. But if I were running PLA down here in this basement, because that temperature is significantly lower than the print head, I would want an enclosure for those. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so the humidity upstairs can actually be greater than the humidity down here, but I think the temperature difference would be more problematic um, for both systems. Um, and from what I understand, most of the product that we use comes from places where the humidity is relatively the same as what we're living in, both in Connecticut and in Florida. Because, um, you, you know, you, you're, so you, we don't have water, we don't have the, um, I don't know what the scientific or technical term is, but we don't have water uh, penetration um, with, our, with our material. But some of the guys I know, uh, Greg specifically, Greg Janone, who does our, our test printing and he has his podcast, he has, um, I think he has his material in evaporators. And if I have material here, it's in totes because my uh, plastic totes, which help protect it. Um, but my basement has a, a dehumidifier. We do run air conditioning. So it's, it's the, the, the humidity is not the issue for me. It's the temperature. Um, uh, see, I have humidity issues in my basement because I, it does take on water and I always have the dehumidifier running at any given point in time. It could be 50% depends on what the precipitation has been in the area, but it's been from 50 to 70%. <laughs> oh, I, I don't think you have my educated guess is that you're not going to have a real issue okay. with water penetration in your printer unless you're getting around 80% humidity. Okay. So if you're, if you can get it below 75 or below 70, you're yeah. probably in a good spot because here's the other thing that I don't know if people really realize this or not, but if this piece of equipment's running, and the humidity evaporation from heat that's exactly where exactly where i was going thank you yeah you, you beat me to it the evaporation from heat if it's hot if it's hot it's going to push away the moisture from the air you're not going to have the same issues if it's an enclosure and that enclosure is already preheated before you start printing the the moisture in the room is not going to want to is not going to want to stay in that space unless mm -hmm. the humidity is exceedingly high mm -hmm. um, 
not that high. I mean, just listening to you talk was like, oh, I don't have an enclosure. Oh no, should I go make one? Well, you've, you've got to you've got to be careful. You don't want it to be too hot because that's the other thing. When you have when you're running a bead across the surface, if it's too hot, what ends up happening is is that you get little balls left behind because it's 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 almost like it's almost like throwing an egg on an extra hot super oily griddle or, or oh, frying and pan. Then you get some you of get, that. right you get almost like a floating it doesn't bond at the right temperature it has to be it can't be too cold or you're going to get layer separation and it can't be too hot or as the head moves along you leave beads behind because it's 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 pushing it it's it's gotta be balanced within a tolerance and and a lot of people that are new to 3d printing think oh it's just a hot glue gun it's just gonna mm -hmm. pump out you know no that's not how it is it's it's got to move at the right speed it's got to be at the right temperature it's got to have um a, you got to find the balance of humidity based on where your stuff was where your where your filament was made i wouldn't order filament from a place where i know the humidity is going to be super low California and uh, Germany are, are, are places where, generally speaking, the humidity is lower and the manufacturing of the filament there means that you want to use the filament from those relative locations. Hmm. Um, I'm talking about stuff where it's extra fussy. Uh, you, d you don't have to be this fussy. A lot of people do perfectly well with just off-the-shelf stuff and in a general workspace. Um, you know, but it's like anything else. Keep it clean. Keep the dust down. You know, control your humidity. Control your control your temperature. You know, the 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 more the the closer you can get to the ideal or optimum tolerances, the easier your machine is going to run for you. The fewer problems you're going to have. But if you're like, let it all hang out. I don't care what the humidity is. I don't oh, care what the temperature is. Yeah, that's that's almost like how it was with the M3D because I think I was printing too high with that, and now I I was PLA. It was not a heated bed. Two uh, twelve, I think, was two twelve C, and it, it was still a little bit too hot because the Benjis that I print would be have little bubbles in them occasionally it's it's you know it's this is um 3 printing at this stage is still more a craft than it is a throw the file on and print it um some people like greg who have many machines he still has to maintain the stuff he still has to control these things but he's got it down to where it's like it's it's a proper production with like him, Greg, Greg Janung and um, HC3D, my buddy over at HC3D, they have many machines and they have it all figured out. They have it all dialed in, but the first handful of machines, you know, it's, 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 um, it's a pain in the butt. You, you, you've got to figure out what the, if, if your machine's extra fussy, if your filament's extra fussy and find that, that optimal zone. And once you know what that optimal zone is, you write a chart. You write a chart and you say, 
uh, on this day, 22, uh, 22-hour print, uh, humidity, temperature, so on, uh, ideal conditions or defects. I'd probably write it up as defects. And then you, you keep a chart of every time what the fluctuations were. And then you just, you know, once you know that, you get it. My humidifier has a, a digital readout. It tells me what the humidity is. I can go look at it right now. It's going to say that humidity is probably 52 or 43 percent. Because um, yeah. if I'm if I'm on top of it, you can get it. Down, I can get it down to 43 percent in the summer. In the winter, it gets much much lower. Um, so no big deal. By the way, I'm pretty sure. Again, this is an educated educated guess. I'm pretty sure it's if you go from if you're using filament that was produced in a dry area and produce and you print in a wet area that's going to be more of a problem than if you go the other way around getting a filament that was produced in a, in a uh, more of a humid condition and printing in a drier area i don't think you're going to have an issue partly because pla and abs they're plastics so they have oils in them um but when they're manufactured if they if they've got like making mayonnaise, if they've got a little bit of water mixed in, the oils are sort of in suspension. So you yeah. don't have, the oils and the waters are in kind of a suspension, so you don't have the same uh, problem uh, in that respect. And again, this is, this is based on experience more than proper chemistry. So, see, I've made mayonnaise. You have to keep the cohesion just right or it's going to break. Exactly. Um, yeah, <laughs> I have a few more parts to show, but do you want to have? Do you want to ask some questions or make any other? Do you have any other announcements you want to do? Uh, no, no, I'm good. Uh, I got pretty much most of those taken care of. Um, the other, the any other questions? I know I need to reprint your thorn in the correct size that you had sent to me because I had to downsize that by like. 64% to fit within my 4x4x4 four by four by four. and now that I have the the CR10 and that's miles ahead of now, where are you, are, do you have a Leah, do you have the, what is it, the 300 millimeter bed? Yeah, 300 by 300 by 400 Right. Okay. Yeah. That's that's the printer that all of the large format stuff from Worlds Overrun is going to be all the large format stuff will be that, but I'm still going to try and build for the base of printers that revolve around uh, 150 millimeters or six inches. Um, I, I really wish everybody was moving to the CR10s, but it's it's they're it's, too it's, inexpensive not to. They they are. I think they're what it, uh, the, I I think that last time I looked they were 500 bucks a pop. I don't know what you paid. What did you get? Three twenty five. You get yours for three twenty-five, and and here's the other thing too. I know that this may be a huge ask for some people, but I actually went on eBay and I found some used ones where they were either used or refurbished or used briefly, and then they got some scuffs on them for like as little as like a hundred bucks. And it's like if you've got half a brain in your head and you know a little bit about boards, maybe even a little bit about soldering, you could probably pick those up and then bug Greg. Uh, or look at his podcasts and 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 just you get it up and running or you use it as spare parts and you buy a new one and, and you just have like sort of a backup. Um, I'm actually looking to get two CR10s here, um, mostly for test printing and for going to shows. 
because um, we're, we're already looking at Connoisseurus. If you don't know about Connoisseurus, it's a um, convention resource. I'm not sure how good it is just yet because we only found out about it, but I'm hoping to use that to start figuring out which conventions we want to go to. Just so your viewers know, I highly doubt you will ever see us at a comic con. Okay. Because it's not the right place. It's not the Please right audience. Do it. Maker fairs? Um, we've talked about doing Maker Fair in New York City, which I would really like to do for a lot of reasons, but it's not, again, it may not be the right market. Uh, a couple of the people I've talked to say that Maker Fair is much more about people making things than it is about what we do, which is we make stuff and then sell that stuff, either the files or the, the finished three prints or, and or resin statues. Finding, this may be another podcast altogether, but finding a show, if you're going to go to a show and sell a product or show off a product, finding the right show to go to is becoming much more, you need to really focus and find much more of the ideal circumstance. I love that word ideal because it's not, because there's no such thing as perfect, but the ideal circumstance for you to be at. So like one of the shows that we go to is Wonder, uh, Wonderfest. We also, we also want to be at Adepticon and we almost always do Monster Palooza, but with Worlds Overrun, um, the only show I know that we can go to where I think the audience will be the most receptive is Adepticon right now. But then again, I did find that resource called Connoisseurs. Uh, and what I'm hoping for is I'm hoping we to find more gaming-based conventions in Boston, possibly in New York or Philadelphia or uh, the Northeast, because I'm, I'm based in the Northeast. Uh, Kirk is in, in, uh, in, in Pensacola. I'm in, I'm in, uh, which one is it that's coming up? Uh, Kineticon. Kineticon was created by, um, Matt Daigle, who's actually a classmate of mine. He's a really good guy. Uh, he's still, I'm pretty sure he still runs it. Um, I've been to that show. We've shown at that show with another company. I showed at the show with another company. Um, the show, when I went, it was a lot smaller than I thought it was going to be, but the venue was a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. And that's in Hartford, Connecticut. And it's, I wish that show got a lot more attention because the reason that Matt created it was because in the, back in the early aughts, uh, the only comic convention that anybody ever talked about was... San Diego Comic-Con, which is like the, the great big granddaddy 800 pound gorilla of comic conventions. And nobody wanted to go all the way to San Diego for a three day weekend. Aww. Well, it's expensive. You gotta figure it's expensive. You, you know, I can go to Hartford. I can drive to Hartford each day. I can drive to Hartford and drive home each day for that convention. Yeah. Um, even if I'm showing there. Um, but it's cheaper because it's not, because it's on the outskirts of Hartford. It's, it's cheaper to get a table. It's cheaper to, to rent a hotel room. I'm not going to say it's, I'm not going to say it's costs nothing, but I think if you, if you're going, if you're going, conventions is a long, long, hard topic, but if you're showing at a convention, expect to spend have a $3,000 budget, bare minimum, because your table's going to run you between 
depending on the show, the table's going to run you between two and eight hundred bucks. Space in the vendor room, yeah. Right, right. And then you got to figure if you're staying at the hotel that the convention's at, your room might cost you another two hundred dollars a night. Now, now that, that's extreme. That's extreme. They really don't cost that, generally speaking. Uh, Providence, yeah. Necronomicon, that uh, Well, well. We the hotel know. costs outweigh the costs of the convention. Yes. They, they can be unreasonable. I'm actually, I, I'm surprised that you talk about, um, because of where you're based, I'm surprised you're talking about Necronomicon, because I'm actually thinking I about I go Providence. there every two years. It's a habit. See, I was, I'm thinking. I'm thinking about getting a table. Maybe we should talk about. Maybe we should share a table next. Develop. Time. Develop your horror line. I don't with need the, to develop. I don't need to develop my horror line. I, everything I make is it could be horror based if if you if you take if you if you dress it up the right way. I mean, you can take a clown. You take people take I mean, clowns and turn them into horror. So some of your uh, your Grove minute, your Grove line that you had shown with all of the forestry and the Celticness. Um, I mean, that could easily be taken as cultist. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And and there's there are there are going to be more horror based things, but I'm not going to walk in there just leaning one way because I want to I want to have the whole genre of content if I'm going to display. But my my thing about shows is, is that you need to have a budget and it needs to be substantial because you, you may not make any of that money back, but immediately on the short term. But the more you show your stuff the more customers you're going to pick up in the end. The more you get your photographs out there on social media, the more customers you pick up in the end. If you want to do this stuff, you need to be willing to throw down some money and do it regularly so that you can get exposure and get your customer base built up. You have that customer base and you are golden. Um, but you always, with your customer base, whatever your core customer base is, that's not where you make your living. You make your core, you make your living on the fringes or the expansion of that customer base. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm talking about these big numbers and shows do not need to be this expensive. I'm saying if you want to go comfortably, have a $3,000 budget, bare minimum. That's comfortably. If you want to do bar bargain basement, um, uh, show, find somebody stack to stack six up in a hotel room. Exactly, stack six up in a hotel room. or sleep in your car mm -hmm. and, and 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 do uh, 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 what are they called? Um, gas station showers with a with a with a with a yeah, rat, hot PTA meetings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And and also split a table with somebody. I'm I I can go and get a table by myself, but I would rather. Get a table with a friend who's trying to start out, or or like you, for instance, who has an established podcast, and say, "This is our table. We're going to mix and match our stuff. We'll have our two banners, but we're going to share the table." Because if you if you're dropping four to eight hundred dollars on a table, and you're going to be there for for three days, the most important thing is to press the flesh. Get get business cards and postcards made up, talk to everybody, get photographs with everybody. You don't have to sell anything at these shows to, to, to make it worth your what, to make it worth your uh, investment in being there. But you have to be willing to, to put in the energy. I have a way of doing shows that I see other people don't do. Um, I see people 
with their drawing pads or with their art, and and they they bury their face in it, and yeah, they wait for they somebody to come up. Right, right. And unless unless you are somebody who is just a god at their art, you can't do that. Okay, yeah. and I, and I can't I can't work at a convention because I get distracted too easily. So what I do is I see little kids and I, I take I take the biggest piece that we have and I say, "Come here," and then I put it in their hands. And ah. you see a kid with a giant like monster head, and they're like, "This is the coolest thing <laughs> I have ever seen." And they're like, "Can I have this?" And I'm like, "Talk to your dad." <laughs> and I said, you can't have this one because this is our showpiece, and I put it back, and it's just like, Daddy, that is the coolest thing. You know, if you don't engage, if you don't engage the children, and if uh -huh. you don't engage the cosplayers, and if all you do is sit behind your stuff and you know sit there with your thumb up your butt, you're you're not. Listen, art isn't art, and product is at at the level that I'm talking about. Has nothing to do, or it only has a, 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 a an overlay to do with selling the actual art. People, people buy you, not your work. If you make everybody in love with your energy, your positivity, your excitement for the ideal circumstance which helped you to create that art, you will have a user base that is appreciative and excited about it because you're excited about it. If you make something and you're like, this is my thing and it's precious <laughs> and it's my thing and you should buy it because it's my thing. And I'm just sort of like, meh, meh, why should yeah, I care? There's, there's no passion there. Yeah, I love what I do. There's nothing more exciting. There is truly nothing more wonderful than selling a piece to somebody that loves it almost as much as you did. Because yeah. I I'm I will not I will not lie. Every time Greg shows me a test print, I am proud and excited and, and energized because I made that thing and making that thing is hopefully gonna make gaming better or it's gonna be a piece of art that someone's gonna appreciate. And and there's it's 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 frustrating to me that most of the community is just like, I want to sit here with my, I love to draw. Don't get me wrong. If I'm drawing, don't bother. Mm -hmm. Don't distract me. Just let me sit and draw. I, I can't draw in a coffee shop as much as I love a coffee shop. I can't draw at a, at a nice sit-down restaurant and do whatever. I can doodle. I can doodle, but I can't commit myself to a sketch. Yeah. Um, because if you're if you're distracting me, if you're talking to me, if you if you want to have a conversation, I need to focus on that, and I can't focus on this. So yeah. it's it's because um, I need quiet. I need focus to to design something. Because um, I'm I'm measuring. I'm calculating. I'm thinking. I'm using mathematics. I'm using my mind. I'm using my yeah. I left my calipers downstairs. I was going to use the like scrap it. You know, so get yeah, yeah. Math, math, you know. I, I want to show one more piece before we start closing do, 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 do. Uh, uh, So, So this piece here is a central column, and this mm -hmm. is two parts. This is the bottom uh, trapezoid, and then mm -hmm. these are the cables. I, I got to tell you, I've been wanting to do cable stuff for a while now, and we're going to actually start doing more of it. 
Wait, now you're telling me the bottom part that is poking up with the three little pieces this connect to the giant round top part? Yes. Flips over and connects to that? Yes. Oh my goodness. And this, this part here holds up a platform and this part here makes up a platform or, or a, a dais or a, a lily pad or a disc within strata. Nice. So, are so, you going to do it? Uh, well, now, now you've opened that door. Are you going to do a lily pad for Grove or no? Uh, L Grove, Grove is not going to. Grove may get floaty stuff much, much later. But okay. Grove, Grove's Grove's interconnectivity with Strata really comes from these guys here, the, the floating rocks. Okay. Um, I didn't want them connected directly because strata is supposed to be these lily pads or platforms. I call them lily pads because all of the platforms, there's there's pl there's platforms or lily pads, which is just the loose name for them. And then there's promenades. Promenades are larger, more expansive structures um, where you can walk around and what have you. But the lily pads are what connect, the lily pads are what you use to bridge all these things together. So this thing has, this thing has bridges or causeways, and it has promenades, and it has lily pads, and it's it's all based around um, creating layers and layers of stuff. Awesome. So yeah, yeah, and 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 this this guy here is one of three designs and they range in complexity but this has i love this this ribbing printed out beautifully the pattern i built for this printed out really nice mm -hmm. um a lot of the stuff that i was worried that wouldn't print actually printed out just fine and even the 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 sort of layering of of plating uh seemed to come out most of the time it came out really really nice so yeah very cool now uh Thank you again, Eric, for taking the time to speak with me today. I greatly appreciate it. And I look forward to the success of your Kickstarter for Estrada. Me too. And Thank growth. you. Yeah. So have an awesome day, everyone. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to like and subscribe. Have a wonderful day. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.